an ode to secret gardens. Now, I would not classify myself as an outdoors person. I see the beauty, and I see the value, and I make the effort, but it's not a natural instinct, per se. Rainy days often make me smile. But, that being said, I just love a good walking path. Not one out in plain sight, those are great too, but I mean the hidden ones. The ones where a few feet in, you've totally forgotten you're surrounded by 3.4 million people in your nearest radius. The kind where the first time you find it, you're not even sure where it leads, but you enter in anyway. In the last three houses we've lived in, I've always had a really good walking path really close by. The one by our last house was gorgeous and so unique. It followed a creek and seemed to go on forever. We'd been down it with the kids, which never lasted too long, of course, but the first time I ventured in on my own, I was elated like a little child just to find out what was coming up around the bend. I was always pleasantly surprised. There's nothing quite as wonderful as getting lost in something, and nature can fill your mind with goodness in an instant, especially when you're on a path towards something new. And the more time I spend in the quiet and with my heart open, I start to see my mind as a pathway of its own. Different trails, different loops, but one path is especially precious to me. The entrance is a little overgrown and it's walled up all around with a slightly hidden doorway. Peculiar. Too many times I've arrived at the doorstep and thought, man, I wish I had the key. Really wonder what's up in there. Then eventually, someone whispers, You have the key. I gave it to you. And it's like a swift awakening, and I remember the thick and heavy key I carry around with me in my pocket. And I whip it out, fast at first, and then with care and caution. Because suddenly I'm struck with the understanding that this is no ordinary doorway to any ordinary garden. It's like a secret garden. Where God dwells. The door creaks as it swings open wide, and the light is so bright I have to squint and blink just to step forward. But step forward I do. The beauty is stunning and overwhelming, and sometimes I just get lost as I take in the view. But off in the distance I can see the shepherd, tending to the flock. Sometimes I bring with me a fog so thick I can't see, and I don't notice he's there, but He's always there. And once it dawns on me who the shepherd is and how much he means to me, I start running. And ever so slowly, he turns around, but before long, I can see he's running too, like he's been waiting for me. He leaves his sheep behind to meet me at the gate, to cover me and guide me and love me and rebuke me and redirect me and question me and pray over me. Because, yes, I believe with every piece of my heart Jesus dwells within me as I live my life out. It's not always as obvious as that may sound, but he and I were planting a garden. And it's gorgeous, but it's hard work. When we got started, it was really just a mess. Jesus had to rip some things out by the root and basically start from scratch and reshape the lines in order to reshape my mind, but... Finally, I understand that that's what he's doing. It's a beautiful place where not everything makes sense to me, but 
I trust in the mystery and the artistry and in the faithfulness of the one digging with me in the dirt. It's a place where I ultimately choose what to grow. And the longer I toil under the hot sun, the quicker I am to realize I just want to grow what he wants me to grow. That's the best fruit. The other stuff is essentially worthless. It may look nice for a time, but if it doesn't last, then it's not really worth my effort. We grow all kinds of things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. But what you plant matters far less than where you got the vision to start digging. Not everything is as it appears on the surface. Not everything is as obvious as it seems. Hidden treasure is found by those willing to open unknown doors and start digging by faith. You can search the earth high and low and wide and deep, and you will never find true satisfaction there. The world is fun, but it still leaves you empty. The thing you're looking for can only be found once you're willing to say yes, not only to the secret doorway, but yes to the person who holds the key. Some things are sudden and some things are painfully slow. But if Jesus reigns in your heart, your garden is beautiful, even if a little messy or retouched. Sometimes God delights in leaving the scars to remind us. We are both there and not there yet. Those things seem mutually exclusive, but we find real life is experienced in the tension. Jesus comes to meet us where we are, and he walks with us on the journey, no matter how many times we make him stop so we can pee or have a snack or ride a wave of emotion. He waits. He doesn't leave. He understands our humanity firsthand. And he stays as long as it takes to make us new. And what a gift it is to know the patience of Jesus. If painful to come face to face with how stubborn and how hard your heart can be, because it's heavy to realize that this door has been unlocked for years, and yet you mostly stayed away. Why? Well, for one thing, because you have an enemy. He's smart and has a sophisticated system of warfare. He learned everything he knows from God while living in his courts, and he ultimately wants what God has. Worship. So he'll stop at nothing to keep you from entering this door. He's been studying the human race for centuries, and he is crafty and slick. He'll use anything or anyone, and he even makes his own secret gardens that are actually sometimes enjoyable, but they are certainly counterfeit. And in the end, this always becomes apparent as we watch the tower crumble to ruins. And for another, there's the world. The world loves itself, and it wants for you to love it too. It sets itself up independent of God and believes that someday humans will be able to overcome it all by themselves and live in harmony. And as if the words artificial intelligence don't spell it out for you right there, human wisdom is a jelly bean compared to God's enormous candy dish. And then there's your old man, clawing and grasping every time you go near the secret doorway, begging and conniving you to turn back at the gate. Because this part of you doesn't enter the secret garden. The only way for the new creation to experience life is for the old creation to give hers up. And on this side of eternity, she'll always pose a threat to your freedom. She'll always want you to go back to loving yourself more than anyone or anything else. And so here's the problem. At some point, 
you realize these things are true, but that means before now you didn't even know. Like you were in a war, you didn't even know you were fighting. So it's no wonder you were losing. But once you know, you know. And you can pick up the supernatural weapons you've been issued and begin to fight back. Wake up each morning with a big fat no to your enemies and a resounding yes to your creator. You do this by boldly entering the garden. No matter how long it takes or how hard it is, the garden is where we find life and where that life flows outward from within. And that's the thing your enemy is most afraid of. Your faith in the secret garden. Your faith in the all-knowing groundskeeper. I leave you today with a passage from 1911 Francis Hodgson's Burnett's The Secret Garden. In each century since the beginning of the world, wonderful things have been discovered. In the last century, more amazing things were found out than in any century before. In this new century, hundreds of things still more astounding will be brought to light. At first, people refuse to believe that a strange new thing can be done. Then they begin to hope it can be done. Then they see it can be done. Then it is done, and all the world wonders why it was not done centuries ago. One of the new things people began to find out in this last century was that thoughts, just mere thoughts, are as powerful as electric batteries. As good for one as sunlight is, or as bad for one as poison. To let a sad thought or a bad one get into your mind is as dangerous as letting a scarlet fever germ get into your body. If you let it stay there, after it has got in, you may never get over it as long as you live. Much more surprising things can happen to anyone who, when a disagreeable or discouraged thought comes into his mind, just has the sense to remember in time and push it out by putting in an agreeable, determinedly courageous one. Two things cannot be in one place. Where you tend to a rose, my lad, a thistle cannot grow. While the secret garden was coming alive and the two children were coming alive with it, there was a man wandering around a certain faraway beautiful places in the Norwegian fjords and the valleys and the mountains of Switzerland. And he was a man who for ten years had kept his mind filled with dark and heartbroken things. He had not been courageous. He had never tried to put any other thoughts in the place of the dark ones. He had wandered by blue lakes and thought them. He had lain on mountainsides with sheets of deep blue gentians blooming all around him and flower breasts filling all the air, and he had thought them. A terrible sorrow had fallen upon him when he had been happy, and he had let his soul fill itself with blackness and had refused obstinately to allow any rift of light to pierce through. He had been in the most beautiful places in Europe, though he had remained nowhere more than a few days. He had chosen the quietest and remotest spots. He had been on the tops of mountains whose heads were in the clouds and had looked down on other mountains when the sun rose and touched them with such light as made it seem as if the world were just being born. But the light had never seemed to touch himself until one day, when he realized for the first time in ten years, a strange thing had happened. He was in a wonderful valley in the Austrian Tyrol, and he had been walking alone through such beauty as might have lifted any man's soul out of the shadow. He had walked a long time, and it had not lifted his. But at last he had felt tired and had thrown himself down to rest on a carpet of moss by a stream. It was a clear little stream which ran quite merrily along its narrow way, 
through the luscious, damp greenness. Sometimes it made a sound rather like a very low laughter as it bubbled over in round stones. He saw birds come and dip their heads to drink in it and then flick their wings and fly away. It seemed like a thing alive, and yet its tiny voice made the stillness seem deeper. The valley was very, very still. As he sat gazing into the clear running of the water, Archibald Craven gradually felt his mind and his body both grow quiet, as quiet as the valley itself. He wondered if he were going to sleep, but he was not. He sat and gazed at the sunlit water, and his eyes began to see things growing at its edge. There was one lovely mass of blue forget-me-nots growing so close to the stream that its leaves were wet, and at these he found himself looking, as he remembered he had looked at such things years ago. He was actually thinking tenderly how lovely it was and what wonders of blue its hundreds of little blossoms were. He did not know that just that simple thought was slowly filling his mind, filling and filling it until other things were softly pushed aside. It was as if a sweet, clear spring had begun to rise in a stagnant pool and had risen and risen until at last it swept the dark water away. But, of course, he did not think of this himself. He only knew that the valley seemed to grow quieter and quieter as he sat and stared at the bright, delicate blueness. He did not know how long he sat there or what was happening to him, but, but at last he moved as if he were awakening, and he got up slowly and stood on the moss carpet, drawing a long, deep, soft breath and wondering at himself. Something seemed to have been unbound and released in him, very quietly. What is it? he said, almost in a whisper, and he passed his hand over his forehead. I almost feel as if I were alive. The singular calmness remained with him the rest of the evening, and he slept with a new reposeful sleep, but it was not with him very long. He did not know that it could be kept. By the next night he had opened the doors wide to his dark thoughts, and they had come trooping and rushing back. He left the valley and went on his wandering way again. But, strange as it seemed to him, there were minutes, sometimes half hours, when, without his knowing why, the black burden seemed to lift itself again, and he knew he was a living man and not a dead one. Slowly, slowly, for no reason that he knew of, he was coming alive with the garden.